Hey everyone, welcome back to the OnScript Podcast. This is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver. I wanted to introduce this new podcast that we launched just recently, just a couple of weeks ago, called In Parallel. And this is the second episode we're going to feature on this OnScript feed from In Parallel. And it's the last one too. So from now on, you're going to have to go over to In, In Parallel and subscribe there and listen to future episodes. Uh, this first season will have seven episodes and then we'll take a break and produce more. And um, this podcast is focused on the connections between biblical and contemporary poetry in a really different style and format than we normally do with our interview style episodes on OnScript and uh, biblical world. So yeah, please subscribe and, and give it a rating and tell people about this podcast uh, as we get it off the ground. And special thanks to Keith Willis for producing it. And of course, to Brent Strawn, who writes and narrates this podcast. So we really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to In Parallel, an offshoot of the OnScript podcast, in which we explore the connections between biblical and contemporary poetry. I'm your host, Brent Strawn. I'm a biblical scholar and theologian. I teach at Duke University, where I am professor of Old Testament and professor of law. I am, at best, an amateur poet, but I am a great lover of poetry and how it can capture the biggest of things in the smallest of forms. The poet and theologian Christian Wyman once said that poetry reflects a certain density of lived experience suffered into form. The great African-American poet Gwendolyn Brooks captured that density more, well, densely, when she defined poetry as life distilled. Density and distillation, suffering and form, are all on display in the poem for this episode, Song of Songs 8. 6 through 7, a poem about love and death. Here's the poem in the New Jewish Publication Society version. Let me be a seal upon your heart, like the seal upon your hand. For love is fierce as death, passion is mighty as Sheol. Its darts are darts of fire, a blazing flame. Vast floods cannot quench love, nor rivers drown it. If a man offered all his wealth for love, he would be laughed to scorn. Now, if you know anything about the biblical composition called the Song of Songs, which is sometimes known as the Song of Solomon, you will not be surprised to hear that this brief passage from the last chapter in the book is about love. This biblical book is apparently an anthology or sequence of love poems between a woman and a man. We don't know their names or anything much about them other than what they say in these poems, but we can tell who is speaking which poem since Hebrew marks gender in ways that English does not. And so, in Song of Songs 8, 6-7, this poem about love and death, it is the woman speaking, asking that the man set her like a seal upon his heart. Love is as strong as death, the woman says to the man. 
going on in the parallel poetic line to assert that passionate love is as unrelenting as the grave. Love and death, passion and graves. And I admit I have often found this connection puzzling. The Song of Songs, as a book, is quite clearly about love. Very real, very passionate, even very erotic love, with all due poetic discretion, of course. But, but death? And love paired with death? Compared to death? In our context, it's far more common to associate love with something like, say, a red, red rose newly sprung in June, to quote Robert Burns. In fact, nowadays, we know that the fiercest statement of love that we might make, our wedding vows, last only until death do us part. But Wyman's certain density suffered into form and Brooks's life distilled have helped me come back to Song of Songs 8 and to hear it with fresh ears. This poem would seem to carry very little for our contemporary and strange idea that death is some sort of end terminus for love. At the very least, this little poem thinks of these things, love and death, as not antonymic, but as somehow reflective of one another. They relate somehow, the poem asserts. But how? The poet has a number of answers. Both things, love and death, are strong or fierce. Both are mighty or unrelenting. This seems to explain why the poet moves easily to other images and topics that are also arresting in their power. Fire and raging flame, waters and flash floods. These, like love and death, could be seen as oppositional in some way. Waters used to put fires out after all, but here they are poetically unified suffered into form, as it were. In each instance, regardless, we are dealing with unstoppable forces. Death stops for no one, apologies to Emily Dickinson. Fire is unpredictable. Floods come and sweep away without warning. This, then, is what love is like according to this little poem about love and death in Song of Songs 8. Love, it says, is like death. That powerful. That intimidating. That imposing. That inescapable. Yes, even that terrifying. And the only thing more terrifying, perhaps, than our own deaths is the death of those we love better than ourselves. With all due respect, until death do us part hardly seems right, does it? Now, the connection between love and death might be seen in the Song of Songs as related to the passionate eros displayed by these two lovers, both of whom seem to be young and, what, energetic, shall we say? 
But despite the mention of the word passion in this little poem, a connection to Eros needn't be the case. It is, surely, the elderly who grieve their deceased spouses of 50 or 60-plus years more than anyone else, so much so that they often die shortly thereafter. Only two weeks later, someone asks? Yes, we reply, he died of a broken heart. Song of Songs 8 would agree. That overwhelming power of love, fierce, passionate love for our most beloved, is hardly, if ever, a matter of libido. In fact, it is hardly solely a matter of romantic love at all. In The Signs, Sharon Olds has written her own short poem about love and death, applying their interconnection not to, say, her husband, but to the maternal love she feels for her son. In the poem, Olds' separation from her son, just a brief temporary one as he leaves for camp, is compared to dying. She watches with other parents as their children are loaded onto the camp bus, which is described in terms of death. Its windows are tinted black, so that the children are seen only as figures through a dark haze, like the dead, she says. But despite the tint and the haze, Olds can still pick out her son from the barest of clues, a tuft of hair, a curve of the chin, a thin, finny hand. That's my boy, she says. And the same is true for all of the other mothers, though maybe for them it is a child's finger or their nose. But even this process of parental identification of their beloved children is death-like, as if, Olds writes, we had come to identify their bodies in the morgue. Finally, after an interminably long, drawn-out goodbye, the bus departs, though still in a deathly mode, with its exhaust reeking of the river Styx. And yet, even after it departs, passes on, as it were, Olds claims she can identify this bus as easily as she could pick out her son within it. And even when the bus turns the corner and goes away, off into the world, Old says she would know this world anywhere as my son's world. I would love it anytime in his name. The deathly parting of mother and son, the mortal goodbye that Olds captures in her poem, meets its match in love. Fierce maternal love that is every bit its equal, even if only for the duration of the poem, it's better because this love, like Song of Songs 8, moves unpredictably like fire and it's overwhelming like flood. It moves from a young boy's genetics to his bus, then to the traffic jam and the polluted city air to ultimately the entire world named and marked now primarily, or rather make that exclusively, by his mother's love for him. He is a seal set on her heart. Her heart will never feel or see or love the same way again. Shades of Song of Songs 8.
Shades, too, perhaps, of a psalm like 139, whose poet asserts that even a bed made in Sheol, a term for the underworld or afterlife, also used in Song of Songs 8, even a bed made there, down in Sheol, is no place too far removed from God. Fierce and deathly love, that is, isn't only romantic or parental. It is equally also, evidently, divine. And so, in the end, despite how it may seem confusing, especially now, maybe that is why Song of Songs 8 offers this somewhat odd pairing of love and death, and not some other, like love and life. Maybe that is because, well, because life ends in death. But love is every bit as strong as that. As strong as death, stronger than, than life. And so, in the end, maybe this little poem about love and death in Song of Songs 8 is another way to say, or rather, maybe it is a better, more poetic way to say, where, O death, is thy sting? Because that sting is meant to match, been countered, antidoted, as it were, in love. And maybe that means that this little poem about love and death is also a better, more poetic way to say, but the greatest of these is love. That, however, is another topic. That is a poem for another time. Here again, then, is Song of Songs 8, 6 through 7. This time, from the Common English Bible. Set me as a seal over your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, passionate love, unrelenting as the grave. Its darts are darts of fire, divine flame, Rushing waters can't quench love. Rivers can't wash it away. If someone gave all his estate in exchange for love, he would be laughed to utter shame. Thanks for listening. See you next time.